Good morning. We are going to take a little diversion away from Ephesians this morning. We're going to be in 1 John. Uh, that's, if you turn to the back of the Bible at Revelation, it's a few small books before that. And as you're turning there to 1 John, I want you to think of the word sin. And that's a really quick way to clear a room, but hopefully you'll stay with me. And uh, what comes to mind when you hear the word sin? When you're sitting here this morning, what are you bringing with you when you hear the word sin? Is it negative images of an angry God? Is it parents who used to be very strict with you, with strict punishments? Or maybe something you really don't care about. You're really not interested in the word sin and you don't have very much experience with it. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about sin. And right away I want to first address some people here who maybe do not call yourselves Christians. And I want to say that I'm very glad you're here and I want to thank you for being here. I've been in church since I was pretty much born. And I know that a church can be actually a very unwelcoming, scary place for someone who is not a Christian. Hopefully you haven't experienced that today, but I want to thank you for being here and for giving me the chance to speak to you from the scriptures. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's pray this morning. Father, I ask you to do a miracle today in that you use a broken person like myself to open up your word, to speak from it, and that you would allow us to hear truth, that you would allow us to learn more about you, what you're like, what you created us to be. I pray that you would enliven us today to be more like you. I pray for those who do not know you, they will come to know you this morning. I pray for those who may have had a very difficult week that it's hard to even sit here today without bursting into tears, without feeling like the weight of the world is on their shoulders. I pray this morning that you would encourage us today through your word and that we would leave this place changed. We need your help. We recognize that we are in constant need of help and we trust you this morning that you are going to do that, that you are going to show up here and speak to us. In your name we pray, amen. I'm going to use the word trust this morning, and I want to give a little definition so you know what I mean when I say the word trust. I am meaning belief that is put to action. So not just the mental assent of believing something, but trust is going to mean belief that we're putting to action by our hands, our feet, by things that we do. In verse 1, John uses the phrase, little children. Here, John is not being condescending. He's also not speaking to children. He's writing to a church of adults. And first, John here, the reason why he says little children is he's advanced in years. Some commentators think he might be almost in his upper 80s when he's writing this. 
John also uses the term little children, I think in an even more important way, because he cares deeply for the church he's writing to. It's an endearing term, like little ones, those I care deeply for, that I care about. And he's also shifting from chapter 1, in which he's addressing a false teaching issue happening in the church. Chapter 1 is more broad language, where he's speaking about God being light, ways to confess sin. Because in this church, false teachers had crept into the church. They've been spreading rumors about Christ. They've been spreading rumors about sin not being that important, about some people being able to live a sinless life. Other false teachers were saying, maybe Jesus never even came in the flesh. We never saw him. I never touched his wounds. Maybe he didn't even come. They're spreading rumors and spreading misunderstanding about sin. As we're sitting here today, in our culture, we're also prone to misunderstand sin, the effects of sin, the reality of sin. Because of this tendency to misunderstand sin, we must trust and know the work of Christ. Because God has dealt with sin through his son Jesus. And this morning, if you're taking notes, we're going to be looking at two roles that Jesus plays in dealing with our sin. First, we'll see how Jesus is our substitute. And second, how Jesus is our advocate. First, we must trust in the work of Christ because he is our substitute. Look with me in verse 2. It says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, once again, I'd like to address those of you who would not call yourselves Christians, or maybe those of you who are new to Scripture. I would ask your patience as we address a contentious topic here, which is the wrath of God in the midst of evil. Though I cannot fully address this topic with the depth that it would require, I'd want to. I'll be beginning a discussion of the wrath of God, and it must be dealt with because the word here, propitiation, involves the reality of the wrath of God. God created the world good. He gave humans all that they would need to flourish, to grow. But humans rebelled, and sin entered the world, which fractured the relationship between God and humans, between humans and themselves, and between humans and the creation around them. We've all experienced sitting here the effects of this brokenness, of this sin. We have hurt others, and we have been hurt deeply. We have mistreated the world around us, and we have experienced the realities of things like natural disasters we are unable to control. When considering the wrath of God, I would ask you this question. Who will answer for all the evil and sin in the world? And I would argue the answer is the God of justice that we read in Scripture, whose wrath will be poured out on this sin, on this evil. In a sermon on the wrath of God, a pastor in New York City named Tim Keller says, We see the height of God's costly love and what he did to give us grace. But you can't know the beauty of this grace. The very concept of grace will be meaningless to you 
if you reject the rightness of his justice. One day, all of the evil will be punished. All the wrongs will be made right. But how is this, is this loving? Well, the reality is God does not stop there because God sent his son Jesus to absorb the wrath that we deserve, to absorb the wrath for our sins. This is what propitiation means. It's Jesus putting himself in our place, our substitute, absorbing this wrath that we deserve as punishment for our sins. And there's no more wrath left over for those who trust in Jesus. Romans 8.34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. God did not leave us in the depth of our sin to flounder with the evil and destruction that is caused. Instead, God sent his son to stand in our place, to be condemned where we should have been condemned. Though we all experience sin, this will all look differently for each of us. And I ask you today, what sins do you struggle with each day? Do you struggle with pride, like I do, where you're so worried about people's perception of you? You always need to be right and on top, and you want to hide your weakness. Maybe you struggle with selfishness, where at the end of the day, most decisions you make or things you choose to do are about what you want when you want it, and you're willing to fight almost to the death to get that thing. Are you driven by a search for comfort at all costs, even to the point of betraying those you love around you? Maybe you're sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum where you think that you are, are dirt, you are garbage. You've believed the lies that people have told you and the experiences and ways people have treated you, and you have missed the fact that you were created in God's image, that you have dignity and value and worth. What are the sins that you struggle with this morning? Maybe you've been wronged deeply and you've experienced the sins of others that to this day give you sleepless nights, oppression, depression. How has sin touched you in your life? When we consider our sin and evil, it is easy to be weighed down with this weight. But I want to remind you that we are not left alone in our sin. That God sent his son because he knew that we could not carry the burdens of our sin and the evil around us. He came to live this life in our place. To have the self-control when we could not have self-control. To have the love for the unlovable when all we want to do is to treat them with contempt. To forgive those around us from hurting us when all we would want is retribution. He came and stood in our place. And eventually he took the long walk of obedience to the cross, absorbing the wrath, absorbing the punishment that we deserve. When you are overwhelmed with sin, with evil around you, I would encourage you to trust in the work of Christ, that he is your substitute, that he is your propitiation, that he stood in your place. Not only is Christ our substitute, 
but he is also our advocate. Look with me in verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. An advocate. Here, the word advocate conveys a heavenly intercessor seated at the right hand of God the Father, as we heard in Romans 8.34. Right now, Jesus is pleading our case to the Father, praying to the Father on our behalf. As some of you know, before seminary, I was a special education teacher, and I had the privilege of working with students with various disabilities. The students that I worked with were those who were unable to be served in the special education of the city I was working in, so they would come to our organization to be taught. Many of the children that I work with were unable to communicate verbally. Some of them struggled with very intense behaviors throughout the school day. Imagine walking into a room and seeing a 20-year-old student around about my size who's just out of control. He's tearing up a classroom. He's throwing tables, chairs. He's tearing bookcases down, kicking, punching, holes in the wall. Imagine walking into that room, which I would do with some of my colleagues, and we would try various calming techniques. We would try to assess the other students in the room if they had to be removed. We would act quickly. As a last resort, we may have to use a safe hold to protect the student from damaging and hurting himself or others. Now imagine that same student having to go into an office space at a meeting trying to be his own advocate for his education plan. Thankfully, there's a position called a special education advocate. This advocate is like a mediator between the student and the rest of the education team. When I would walk into these meetings, I would see the student, sometimes the parents, and once in a while I would see an advocate. And when I saw the advocate, I knew that I had to be on my A game. I knew that I would have to cross all my T's and dot all my I's because the advocate was going to fight for the needs of that student. That advocate was going to make sure that student's voice was heard, even though that student could not speak for him or herself. In many ways, we are like that student. We are in need of help. God knew that we would not be able to speak for ourselves. God knew that we would be unable to stand up for ourselves, that we would crumble under the weight of sin. John wants his audience to continue to fight sin, but knows the seriousness knows that we will not be able to be perfect. We have an advocate that pleads our case. This advocate is even greater than the special education advocate because our advocate stood in our place. Our advocate knows exactly what it's like to be a human, to be tired, to cry, to be tempted with sin. But he never gave in, unlike us. Do you ever feel out of control in your life? Do you ever feel like one more thing and I'm going to completely lose control? And then that one more thing happens. 
and you wonder, could my family handle it if I really showed what's inside of me, if I really lost control? Would anyone stick around if they really knew what I have done? You, you think in your head, you have no clue what I've done. It has crossed the line. It's disgusting. You would never accept me if you knew the truth. No one could ever love me after hearing this. I'm a fraud. Do you ever hear these thoughts in your mind? This morning, I want to tell you that God knows these things. God is not surprised by the realities of your hearts and your past. Moreover, in the midst of this sin, he loved you. He picked you out. He showed his grace towards you. And Jesus, even though you're in the midst of sin, even though you're in the midst of essentially nailing him to the cross, Jesus says, I love you. He says, I'm going to take this punishment for you. When you are tempted to despair, I encourage you to remember that Jesus is your substitute. When you feel like you were unable to take another step because of the weight of your sin or the evil around you, remember that Jesus is your advocate pleading your case to the Father even right now. He took the punishment that we deserved and he is continually on our side praying on our behalf. As I approach closing this morning, I want to read a few lines from a song by Wendell Kimbrough called Give Thanks to the Lord. We were locked out of the garden and our backs bent down with pain. In the shadow of death's darkness, we were slaves to sin and blame. Then we cried out in our labor to the only one who hears, and the God of mercy wiped away our tears. We were fools in our rebellion with our hunger strike of pride. We were sick and growing closer to the death we should have died. Then he heard of our condition and he called us by our names and the God of glory took away our shame. Remember this week that God took away our guilt and our shame through his son, who is our substitute and our advocate. Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you that you cared about us so much that you began your rescue plan for us long ago, that you knew that we'd be unable to carry the weight of our sin, you knew that we'd be unable to bear the punishment that we deserve for our sin, you knew that the evil around us would eventually overtake us, but you did not give up on us. Instead, you sent your son to stand in our place, to show the costly love of a father I pray this morning for those who are under the weight of sin and evil this morning, for those who are wondering and crying out, where are you? How could this have happened? Who are wondering, 
if relief will ever come, who are wondering if victory will ever be felt, I pray this morning that you would bring comfort and relief. You would remind us of your love for us. That you remind us that even when we don't have words to say, when we are unable to speak, you are interceding on our behalf. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. Help us to, as we experience this love, to love others more fully. We praise you for who you are and all you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.